I hope that uh, before the day is over that you all might take advantage of the opportunity to really thoroughly read and consider the contents of this morning's bulletin article. Um, kind of highlights all of the biblically sound resources that our elders and others have made available for not only our own personal growth, but also to share with others to answer their questions. You know, it's easy when you walk by something all the time to take it for granted. And the track racks out here on the wall are just full to overflowing. Matter of fact, there's a drawer out here or two in the building that are also overflowing um, with hundreds of tracks that are designed to challenge. They are designed to encourage. They are designed to more fully educate us and inform us so that we can become better prepared. Better prepared to both go home to heaven ourselves as well as better prepared to help others as we share them with them. Brother Alan Webster has written pretty much all of them. Brother Alan Webster, one of the founders of House to House, Heart to Heart, polishing the pulpit, those sorts of things. And some of his tracks are very challenging. And well, they should be because the Word of God challenges us. And several years ago, I saw a tract that he had written, one that was blue. Haven't seen it out here yet, but it had a title that serves as our sermon title and topic this morning. It is one, the contents of which, that everybody that wants to go to heaven really needs to give some serious thought to. And it's, it, I'll tell you, though, before we get into it, it's written from a very powerful, very biblical, but very practical and challenging perspective. And the title of that tract is, What Would It Take to Get Us Back on Sunday Night? What would it take to get us back on Sunday night? He begins like this. Statistics don't lie. More people love God on Sunday morning than on Sunday night. There will be generally one-third fewer Christians lifting voices in praise at 6 p.m. than at 11 a.m. And I went out and looked at our statistics, our numbers, if you will, through the first six weeks of 2020, and we came in at an even worse percentage than that. Moving on. He said, shepherds pray about it. Preachers preach about it. Christians are concerned about it. And children wonder about it. But it happens anyway. The question is often posed in elders' meetings, he writes. What would it take to get everyone back Sunday nights? Some churches try the entertainment route. They jazz up services by appealing to fleshly lusts with skits, giveaways, Super Bowl parties, food, music, and singing groups. And sadly, some churches of Christ do that. Others may do things like trunks of treats or Easter egg hunts to become like all the denominations around them. As we all know, and as Brother Webster then goes on to write, he says, this is the wrong approach. But what is the right approach? 
what would it take to get Sunday morning Christians back to worship in the evening? What would it take, he asks. And this is a nationwide thing. What would it take? And then he lists five things. And he goes into them in great detail. The first one, in answer to the question, what would it take? Would it take more love from God? Is, is that what it would take? He writes, if only God were more generous toward his children, then they would feel more like expressing love for him. Certainly this is it. Or is it? We find in the scripture some very thought-provoking material. James 1 in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Every good thing you have. I love the prayer this morning. Everything we have that's good comes from God. More love from God? Is that what it would... John 3.16, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. You know, I had the opportunity yesterday to hold my granddaughter. She fell asleep right here on a grandpa. I love that. And as I look at that pure, innocent child, I couldn't imagine any more than I could of my own kids when they were that age. I can't imagine killing her for the sins of the worst people on the planet. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine the kind of love that would take. But yet God so loved you and me. But that's exactly what he did on a much higher level, though. More love from God? Is that what it would take? What, is, what does Romans 5 and verse 8 say? But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more love can God give us? How much more? Turn to me in your Bibles as we consider this first of these five to Ephesians chapter 1. More love from God? How is it even possible? In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Hasn't left one out. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's what he's given us. Look what else it says. Just as he chose us in him, those of us who would make the choice to get into Christ, he chose us who are in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Think of some of the things you've done. And yet God in his great love gave his son so that you would be holy. You know what holy means? Pure, without sin. That we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I am accepted before the throne of God because of the blood of Christ. In Christ, I can stand before God judgment day and have none of my sins and the ugly stuff I've done. How much more love can God give? Look at verse 11. In verses 11 and following, 
In him also we have obtained, notice it's past tense, you have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He purchased you, you're his purchased possession. And we were given the spirit, it says here in this text, as a guarantee of our inheritance. God couldn't love us anymore, so as Brother Webster concludes, no, we don't need more love from God. We need more love for God. What would it take to get Sunday morning Christians back to worship in the evening? Number two, would it take maybe more sacrifice from Christ? Maybe if Christ had just sacrificed more, Christians would then, maybe they would feel the debt to worship him every time the doors were open. More sacrifice, turn to me in your Bibles to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, more sacrifice? Look at verse 26. Then he, that is Pilate, Matthew 27, 26, released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I'm not going into a lot of detail. We know what the scourging was all about. We know, we know is that the, the ends of that whip with the bone or whatever was in him just reaching him and just tore his back apart to the bone. We understand what scourging was. And then, verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. I want you to understand Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus at that point could have said, you know what, I ain't doing this. He had the choice. Could have called all those angels, Matthew 13, 12 legions. Jesus, we know from John 18, four, knew what was coming. As they gathered around him, the whole garrison, he knew what was coming. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. They took those spikes. They took that like you'd take a, you'd take a framing hammer and you'd drive in a 20-penny spike. And they drove, that, they drove those spikes into his head. He's been scourged. He's been opened up to the back. He knew what was coming when they gathered around him and they beat him and they spit on him and they scourged him. He knew it was coming. And they unloaded with that reed and they drove those spikes into his head, that, that crown of thorns. When they had mocked him, they took the robe off him. And don't you know when they took that robe off, they weren't gentle. Don't you know that those lacerations right through to the bone in the back were all opened and bloodied up again when they ripped that robe off of him? They put his own clothes on him and they led him away to be crucified. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to bear his cross. Jesus couldn't do it anymore. When they come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. When he tasted it, he would not drink it. Jesus was not going to drink something that numbed the pain. He loved you too much. He was going to experience every, every ounce of your punishment for your sins and my sins. 
and he didn't drink it. When they crucified him, when they'd driven the spikes into him and they'd stood that cross up there, they divided his garments. More sacrifice from Christ, what else could he give? He left his throne of glory, Philippians 2, and he came down here for that. Would it take maybe more sacrifice from Christ as Brother Webster writes? No. We don't need more sacrifice from Christ. We need more sacrifice for Christ. Number three, what would it take to get us all back on a Sunday night? Maybe, maybe if it isn't one of these things. What about a better God to worship? What if we just had a better God? He writes, if only Christians had an object that was worthy of their worship, they might get more out of Sunday nights. Turn with me to Psalm 86. Maybe if they just had a better God, a more worthy God, maybe then. Psalm 86, look at verses 8 through 13. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, Lord, shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. God has delivered us from having to spend hell and eternity. How could we possibly have a better God to worship? Turn with me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, look at verses 25 and following. Isaiah 40, verse 25, God says, To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes on high and see who created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. When you go out tonight of the building and you look around, if the stars are out, you understand. If you have a telescope at home and you look around, you understand that every star in that sky is held there by the power by the power of our God. Not one of them is missing. We continue to read on in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men will utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. What an awesome God. No, no, we couldn't have a better God to worship. Brother Webster says, no, we do not need a better God. God needs better children. <clears throat> Number four. Maybe, maybe if we just had a better book to study, maybe that would bring everybody back on Sunday night. You know, if we had something interesting or something powerful, maybe, maybe that would do it. Brother Webster says, surely people would come back if they had something worthwhile to study. Turn with me to Psalm 19. 
Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, look what it says. Something more worthy to study? Really? Psalm 19, beginning verse 7. The word of God that we have is described thus. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. There's, you're not going to find perfect stuff on this planet except the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. You couldn't find a better book. There has never been a volume written by man. All of the volumes written by man cannot compare with the perfection of the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. You can count on it. Making wise the simple. Verse 8 of Psalm 11. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Listen, there's enough trouble in this world. There's enough stuff to drive us mad going on in this world. You want more happiness in your life? Put more of the word of God in it. The Lord's word rejoices the heart. The, commandments of, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold. If somebody says to you on a Sunday night, hey, I have got 55, I'm just picking a number out of the air, I have got 55 gold bars, and I'm going to bring them over to your house and give them to you. They're worth, oh, I don't know, $100 million. You get more by being where the word of God is, according to this text. That's what it says. Isn't that what it says? They are to be desired more than gold, more than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. How could we possibly have a better book to study? We couldn't. No. We do not need a better book to study. We need better students to study the book. Finally, Brother Webster wraps up his five points thus. He says, maybe Sunday morning Christians would come back if they just had a better group of people to fellowship. Now, before you're tempted, <laughs> think about that. He writes, since Christians are washed in the Lamb's blood, Revelation 7:14." Since they are called out of the world, 2 Corinthians 16, and since they are forgiven of their sins, Acts 2.38, Christians are the best people in the world. They are not perfect, but they are better as a group than whoever one would spend time with during the period when worship takes place. As he says, no, we don't need a better group, but a greater desire to encourage the group. In another section of that tract, another section which talks about Isaiah 118 entitled, Let Us Reason Together, Brother Webster makes this statement. Voluntarily, and that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about people whose health don't allow them or anything like that. We're talking about voluntarily, premeditatedly, just not, not returning. Voluntarily absenting oneself from worship is doing the very thing that God said not to. James 4.17 says, To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. If you know the right thing to do and don't do it, it is sin, James 4 and verse 17. Now, some folks might say, well, you know what? I'm in worship on Sunday morning. 
that's good enough. Probably all heard that. My question is this. Where does the Bible talk about the Lord's Sunday morning assembly? Where does the scripture say the Lord's morning assembly? The Lord's morning. Where does it say that? Right next to the sinner's prayer for salvation. What does the Bible call today? The Lord's day. Is that what it says? The Lord's day. How long is a day? 24 hours, midnight to midnight. The Lord's day, not the Lord's morning. It doesn't say, make sure that you're in the assembly on the Lord's morning and then the evening's yours. But the Lord's day covers that whole period. In the original language, it talks about assemblies in Hebrews 10, from what I understand. And, and this is something, I've got to bring this up, because this is something I've never understood, and then I'll move on. The Bible does not differentiate between the Lord's morning, Sunday morning assembly, and the Lord's evening, or my evening, once I've been to his assembly and his morning, then I can go do my thing on my night. But it talks about the whole thing being the Lord's day. The Lord's day is that whole thing. Here's my question. Why is it, understanding that, that we, even as Christians and members of the Lord's church, forget the attendance from it, why do we often treat Sunday nights different? Did you if you came to worship God this morning, raise your hand. Okay? If you come to worship God on Sunday night, raise your hand. So you come for the same reason Sunday nights you do Sunday morning, is that right? We worship God Sunday night, same as we do Sunday morning. We sing Sunday night, same way we do Sunday morning. We take of communion Sunday night, same way we do Sunday morning, for those who haven't. We do pretty much the same thing Sunday night, we do Sunday morning, right? It's the Lord's day. So here's the thing. Why is it that people will often come in on Sunday morning, dressed in what we used to call their Sunday best, but we come to worship the same God the same way, the same day on the Lord's day in the evening, and somehow that's casual? Is it still the Lord's day? Is it still the Lord? Why do we do that? Do you think that on Sunday nights I put less sermon preparation into the lesson than I do Sunday morning? How many of you think that? Why? Because it's just important to me on Sunday night to preach God's word with all the, all the, the faithfulness to the word and all of the, all of the excitement that I have. I'm just as excited about God Sunday nights as I am Sunday morning. It's his day all day long. Isn't it? But yet we treat them different. Somehow Sunday night's not essential, Sunday morning is. And yet it's all the Lord's day. Moving on. Do you know the first century church had an evening service? Did you know that? We know of at least one and it lasted all night long. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, verses seven through 11. The church had an evening service, didn't they? They sure did. If you think I'm long-winded, you should have heard Paul that night. The church also had at least one midnight prayer service that we're aware of, Acts 12, 6 through 12. Which shouldn't be surprising, you know why? Because they were together all the time, Acts 2, 44 through 47 and 4, 23 through 33. Brethren, with all the love in my heart, I agree with his statement that he makes next. He, he makes this statement. When we try to get away with the least amount we can do and still go to heaven, we've missed all of what Christianity is about. Jesus didn't do the least he could for us. 
God didn't say, you know what? Okay, look, I'm not giving the best of heaven. I'm going to give the least. I mean, these jokers, you know, they sinned and all that, but I'm, I'm going to, Jesus, God didn't do that. He gave the crown jewel. He gave the best he had to offer. Look with me at this text for just a moment. Luke 17, turn there. Well, I've done my duty. I was there for one service. Luke 17, 7 through 10. Giving our least is, is not what this is about. Luke 17, starting at verse 7, running through verse 10, reads as follows. Which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. It, it isn't doing as little as you possibly can. Well, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Does that sound like as little as you can give? Sure don't sound it to me. I realize I'm from Maine and we have some funny accents and words up there, but still. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength does not mean giving even 100%. It means giving 200%. And I realize that's not possible. Stay with me. Brother Webster asked this. He says, we sometimes treat this command differently than any other in the Bible. The command to not forsake the assembly. He says, which other command do we think we can break sometimes and God will not mind? Can we break the command not to commit adultery a few times as long as we don't make it a habit? What about the sins of murder, lying, and stealing? And he brought up a good point, and, and I, I really just, for some reason, locked in on this. Think about this. He said that we're not to forsake the assembly. Is that right? That's right. We'll read that in a minute. He also said do not commit adultery. Is that right? Yes, that's right. We're not going to read that one. We know it. Okay. So what's the difference between those two commands? I, I realize in the carrying out of the action, there's a, there's a big difference. But at the same time, he says, do not do this, do not do this. What's the difference in the do not do this? Well, there isn't one. Okay, so if I only forsake the evening assembly, I only do it once a week. Would God be okay with me committing adultery once a week, as long as I didn't do it twice? Do not commit adultery. Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. They're very similar. He says, whoops. He also said this, and this is where it really comes down. Some sins are committed unintentionally through the weakness of the flesh or ignorance. As we walk in the light and confess them, God forgives us. Thank God he does. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. But those who choose not to worship with the saints usually know they should and they could if they would but they plan not to do so this is a presumptuous sin and a person who sins presumptuously is lost if he does not change is that right discord in hebrews 10 please turn there hebrews 10. hebrews 10. Verse 19, going to read fast. Stay with me. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. 
And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith on Sunday morning. No, that's not what it says. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Doesn't matter when it is. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, if we say, I ain't doing it. If we sin willfully, continue to sin willfully is the tense, ongoing. After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the, judge, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And as I read that whole thing, I think, I don't want to insult the spirit of grace. Has God forgiven you by his grace? If God has forgiven you by his grace, and he gives you a chance to get closer to that, he gives you a chance to relish that and enjoy that with other Christians, why, why, why would you not want to do that? At every opportunity possible. Matter of fact, there's a number of questions that come to mind. Are we not, according to Hebrews 10 that I just read, commanded by God to be at every assembly of the saints that we possibly physically can be. Are we or are we not? We are. Just read it. Read it fast, but I read it. But here's the thing for me. Why would a Christian who owes his entire earthly life, every good thing he has, owes his eternal life, owes all of that to God, this one God, why would he not want to come? Why would he not want to come and thank that God? Why would he not want to come and bow down and worship before that God? Why would he not want to come and praise that God? Every opportunity possible, why? Why? I don't know the answer to that. Why would any child of the living God ever not want to come and be together with those same saints that they're going to spend eternity with? Why? If I'm going to spend eternity with you, I'd like to get to know you a little before we get there, okay? I'm just saying. And here's the question that really I, I want us all to think of. Why do you think, don't, don't answer me, just think, why do you think God commanded us not to forsake the assembly? Think about that. Why do you think that he commanded us not to forsake assembling together? Just let that turn. Da, da, da. Oh, okay. Think about it. Why? Why? Why would God do that? Doesn't God know that we've all got a life? Uh-huh. He gave it to us. He's well aware. Doesn't God know that we have schedules? Yeah, God's kind of got that figured out. He, he understands that. Doesn't God know this? Yes. So why would he say, don't forsake the assembly? I'll tell you why God said it. You want to know? Here it is. 
God said it for the same reason he said everything else he said. What was the reason he said everything else he said for Christians? Because he wanted us to have the best life possible, that's why. Because he knows what's good for us. Because he wants us to have the strength when we go out there Monday morning into that world that doesn't like Christians, he wants us to be as well prepared as we can possibly be. That's why God said don't forsake it. God did it just like every father in this room will say good things, will say things to their kids. They say things to their kids and they instruct their kids for those kids good. God said don't forsake the assembly for the same thing. Listen. Assembling together with the saints for worship, study, prayer, and fellowship. When we worship together with the saints for prayer, study, fellowship, when we do that, right here, this is where we get the wisdom to withstand, the power to persevere, the strength to spur us on to certain and guaranteed victory. If we've got all that, do you know who the, do you know who the, the strongest, happiest Christians in the world are? I, I guarantee you, look around. You know who those are that thrive the most in trials? You know those who are the strongest when the world falls out from under them? You know who they are? Those who are here getting filled up with the word of God every time the doors are open, that's who. That's who. You see, not only do we need to encourage and stir up love and good works in others, but you see other people by their attendance encourage and strengthen and stir up love and good works in us. Take for example tonight, tonight. Brother Travis Maine is gonna be speaking to us. He's gonna be speaking to us about his recent Costa Rican trip, one that you helped support financially. So we are grateful for that. Two weeks from tonight, listen closely. Two weeks from tonight on Sunday evening, March the 1st, we are going to have an opportunity that is so special and so rare, it only comes around once a year. It's like Christmas, only a whole lot more biblical. A whole lot more biblical and a whole lot more enjoyable. A whole lot more uplifting and encouraging. We are going to have the opportunity to host a tri-state youth series. I cannot, I, I, wish, I wish that everybody in this room had the opportunity that I've been given by the elders to go to Tri-State. But Tri-State's coming to you in two weeks. I cannot tell you how encouraged I am by the young people in this congregation and what Tri-State has done for them. Last week in Venita, on short notice, there were three of our young men from right here in Shoto, very short notice, get up and lead singing. And they did an outstanding job. Some of the things that were done last week as a result of Tri-State were not all that public. I gotta tell you this, I'll keep names out of it, but you wanna talk about precious? You wanna talk about special? Last week when we went to the Venita Tri-State, we had three newbies with us, three first-timers. One of them a young lady, and it was just an automatic thing that two of our younger ladies who were regulars took this new young lady under their wing and said, don't worry about it, we'll sit with us and we'll show you what you need to do. When it comes to taking, I thought that was the most precious, special thing. These kids are already becoming leaders, strong faith, 
And the most special and meaningful time for me, and no disrespect to the preachers who do the lessons, but that ain't it. When we come back from Tri-State, it's been set up for years that when we come back, these young people come to the front of the bus and off of their notes, they tell you what they learned. Best part of Tri-State for me, bar none. You should hear the answers some of these young people give to what they took out of the lesson. I'm sitting back going, ooh, wow, that's really good. The maturity, the faith, the notes. I, I wish everybody could go and just experience this at least once. It's incredible. And here's the thing. Check this out. We were coming home last week on the bus from Benita, and it was announced that our next tri-state was going to be here on March 1st. And the kids, not Kurt, not Eric, not Doug, the kids brought up, well, after it's over, can we all have this discussion? They wanted to, they're not going to have a bus ride back to have the discussion where they come down front and tell what they learned, but the kids themselves volunteered, can we just get together afterward for a few minutes and discuss the lesson? That's awesome! Do you know how many congregations of the Lord's Church are falling apart? We're always talking about the young people leaving. It is no wonder that this congregation is so strong. And it's things like Tri-State and others. Some of you parents apparently going to have to wait in your cars. It was suggested that maybe we'd go out and sit in a bus and start it up just so they could discuss what they learned. They wanted to do that. Do you know how special that is? Do you have any idea how special that is? Last Sunday night, Benita Tri-State, there were 205 people. Now check this out. We're talking about the need to be back here on Sunday nights. We should be back here every Sunday night for the Lord. Absolutely. And that's, that's all. But this is just an added bonus on that night, like an added bonus hearing from Travis tonight. Last week in Benita, there were 205 people. So check this out. Two weeks from today, on March 1st, can you imagine what it would do for you? Can you imagine the blessing to each and every soul here if we had the same attendance for the second worship assembly of the day as we do the first. For example, had 130 last week. Sometimes we run 135. Okay, so can you imagine next uh, two weeks on Sunday night, check this out. If we had 130, if every soul that was here in the morning was here in the evening, and then you add about 125 teenagers and their chaperones, wouldn't that be awesome? Would you be encouraged? If we were so full that we had to squat like this and, and, and sit in the front pew, can you imagine what singing would sound like? Think about that. 230, 40, 50 grateful, faithful, excited saints just singing and praying and listening and praising God together in unity and harmony in this building. Wouldn't that encourage you? In case you can't tell, I'm encouraged just thinking about it. Imagine that. And let me ask you a question. If all 130 of us were here that Sunday night, do you suppose it would encourage those kids that come in as chaperones? Do you think it would encourage them? You know those chaperones that give up their Sunday afternoon to bring these kids and drive them in from two and three hours away sometimes? Do you think it would encourage them if they walked into this building and y'all were here plus the kids? It sure would. I know it would. I've walked into tri-states before. But here's the thing. We don't have to imagine it. Do you know why? Because we can make it happen. We shouldn't have to imagine it. Why do we have to imagine it? Let's just do it. As I said, we often hear what's wrong with the youth, why they're leaving the church and all of this. And this Sunday night in two weeks coming up, 
We have the opportunity not only to be here to praise the Lord, I mean, that's all we should ever be here for, but we have not only that opportunity, but listen, we have the opportunity to be encouraged, but to also show our love and support to those kids. Wow. As I conclude the sermon, God has given you and I every reason on earth and in heaven to return and worship him at every opportunity that we possibly physically can and then some. God has given far more to provide us with these opportunities to worship him than we will ever give in carrying out that command to worship him. He has commanded us to do the same, to not forsake the assembly, to be here at every opportunity that we possibly can. And the reason he's done that is only out of his great love and compassion and concern for yours and my souls, because he realizes what the world wants to do to us. He realizes the strength that we have when we come together, and that's why he says, don't forsake the assembly. That's where your power and your strength comes from. Do we all really understand that? Do we truly trust that our Heavenly Father knows best? Do we? Do you trust that God knows best? He said, don't, don't give up assembling. The Lord's saints here in Shoto Hills are going to take a break for lunch and some afternoon activities. And after that, we're going to reassemble a little bit later this same Lord's Day at 6 o'clock. And we're going to meet, not only because God commanded us to, but because we understand God commanded us to because he's only got our good at heart and he wants to strengthen and encourage us and stir us up some more and he wants us to strengthen, encourage, and stir up others. Not only because of that, because I'll tell you, because we can't wait to love and to sing and to praise and to adore our God for what he's done for us. Amen, church? We can't. To express our thanks to God for his great love and mercy, who has forgiven our sins, our every sin by his very own son's blood, and he has written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. What an awesome God. I cannot wait to get back here tonight to sing his praise. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yes, that's a pun and a scripture verse. I wouldn't miss it for the world. And I hope you won't either. Let's make sure that we worship every opportunity we can on the Lord's day, health permitting. What would it take to get us back Sunday nights? God's done everything he can, the rest is up to us. This morning, if you're not a child of God, if you've never been baptized into Christ, we'd welcome the opportunity to do that. If you are a child of God, you have repented, you have been baptized, then maybe you've come to the point in your life where you need the prayers of the church. I know a lot of us are struggling with things, a lot of things, difficult things, and the thing is, is strength to deal with some of that is gonna happen again tonight when we continue this worship service in the Lord's day. But if you need the prayers of the church in the meantime to be stronger with whatever you're dealing with, if there's anything we can do to help you get closer to God, we'll do our part this morning.
Do yours tonight. If you have a need, will you come to the front while we stand and sing?